Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Chandler Baker, author of the novel The Husbands, now out in paperback. Kimberly McCrate, New York Times bestselling writer, said about The Husbands, utterly engrossing and thoroughly timely. The Husbands is both a gripping, well-crafted mystery and an insightful critique of motherhood and marriage in the modern age. Working mothers everywhere will feel seen in the best possible way. Chandler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Husbands, how would you describe the novel? Sure. Um, It is a book that really asks the question, how far would a woman go for a little more help from her husband? Uh, it, it follows Laura Spangler, who is an overworked mother and lawyer, and she goes house hunting in this nice suburban neighborhood called Dynasty Ranch. And there she meets a group of high-powered women with enviably supportive husbands. Uh, and they end up asking her to help out with a wrongful death case for one of the community's residents. And you know, as she works the case, she gets to know the women there. She finds the air really is different in Diocese Ranch. The women, unlike her, aren't hanging on by a thread. Uh, and as the case sort of unravels, she uncovers the plot that may explain sort of the secret to having it all. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Husbands? Yes. So I um, had I had I had written a book. Uh, right before my last novel, Whisper Network, came out, and I thought it was going to be my next book. And my both my editor and my agent said, I, I don't think this is the one. I don't think we should publish it. So that was a really scary time <laughs> um, because I had just left my job as a full-time lawyer, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already a failure. Um, but it was right before Whisper Network came out. And you know, Whisper Network was kind of of the Me Too era. And uh, I got to speak to a lot of book clubs and a lot of women would kind of ask me, you know, how do we make, uh, how do we make the workplace better uh, for, for women? What can we do? And in the same breath, they would often kind of say, well, it's not always that I don't feel like I'm being offered more opportunities or responsibilities or promotions at work. Sometimes it's that I feel so overloaded with my responsibilities at home that I'm actually opting out. I'm taking the mommy track. I'm taking a job with fewer hours, fewer responsibilities because I just don't feel like my home life is tenable. And I could really relate to that because after the birth of my first child, my daughter, I had considered taking, asking for a reduction in pay uh, because I just wanted to alleviate sort of any, some of the guilt that I was feeling or failing a little bit, both at home and at work. Uh, so that was that in the back of my mind. And then I went on this little girls weekend uh, with a couple of my friends from law school. And what really struck me was we started talking about this book, Fair Play by E. Brodsky, which is about the division of domestic labor. We just talked and talked and talked about it. And I thought, oh, there is something here. And that week I, you know, I went home and thought, what would it look like if, you know, Stepford Wives uh, were sort of flipped on its head? It was gender reverse. What kind of commentary could we make on uh, modern marriages today? What would that look like? Uh, and it all just really unspooled quickly from there. So, And I'm curious, do, do you remember how you felt when um, 
your editor and your agent said like, oh, I'm not sure about this, this book that you did turn in? <laughs> um, I feel like, I, to be honest, I feel like my superpower in life is that I don't take bad news very hard. It's sort of like a blip on the radar for me. So when I heard that, I guess it was telling that I wasn't that upset. Um, I kind of felt that they were right in my bones. Like it was fine. It was a fine book. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know I would not have gotten, you know, some of the opportunities I got with the husband, America book club and stuff with, with that book. Uh, so I was fine with it, but then, you know, as, as the months passed and I was trying to promote whisper network and I still didn't have another book on the horizon, uh, that became, it became a little bit more frightening as time passed. And do you think you'll ever go back to that book or you'll just leave it in the trunk for now? I think I'll just leave it in the trunk. Um, <laughs> I haven't felt any calling to go back to it, which again, I think it's telling. So, you know, it's there, I guess, if, if I ever get the calling. Sure. Well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, growing up, I was a big reader, but I was not a writer, except that I did keep a diary, which maybe should have been my first hint. I mean, I religiously kept a diary from, you know, maybe like sixth grade up through end of college um, every day. And... So, so I did always enjoy the process. And my junior year of college, I just was having a conversation with a friend. And my friend said, I really want to run a marathon before I graduate college. And I said, I would really like to write a novel. And so we both did it. Uh, that year, we committed to, to completing those goals. And then I just really got hooked on seeing if there was a way to get it published because I knew nothing about publishing. I didn't know that author was even really a job that you could have. And I knew that I was going to go to law school. Um, but, you know, I just kind of kept getting enough success as a writer as I was pursuing law school and becoming a lawyer that the bug sort of stayed with me and I wanted to keep at it. Like I got an agent my first year of law school and the book that I got an agent with didn't sell. It got rejected everywhere. Um, and I decided to do some ghostwriting so, to make some money during law school. So I was writing middle grade, like existing, a middle grade series that was long running and existing. Um, I wrote installments in that, which was a great sort of boot camp for how to write on deadline and the structure of a novel. So I did those. Um, and then when I, when I started work as a lawyer, uh, my agent kind of sat me down and said, I think you need to try writing something of your own again. And I did. And that book sold and it was a YA novel. And so I, I wrote YA novels for quite some time before I turned to adult novels uh, in the last few years. And how did you balance uh, writing fiction, having a law degree, and also, uh, it sounds like, being a mom? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Perfectly. No, <laughs> not always. Well, for sure. I mean, I'm sure my grades could have been better if I wasn't writing books all the time and pursuing that with such a passion. And, you know, I remember I turned in a book uh, that was due for ghostwriting the week of the bar, which was just a very risky little game to play. And thankfully, wow. it worked out okay for me, but I don't recommend. Um, and 
you know, I don't know. Obviously, help from my husband in terms of being a mom. You know, there have been weekends where I just have to, where especially when I was working full time, like, okay, this is my shot. I have to clear some space to do this. Um, but I guess the two biggest sort of p- practical things that have helped me are uh, setting timers for very small increments of time. So I would always set timers for 15 minutes. And if I had 15 minutes or I didn't have to look at my inbox, didn't have to help a child, then I would write at that time and I would turn everything else off. Uh, So that was a big help. And then also I have an accountability partner and for 10 years, it might be longer than that now, we email each other first thing in the morning, tell each other our goals. And then in the evening, we tell each other what we accomplished with nothing. Um, And it's very simple, but something about the magic of setting that intention for the day, doing it has really just kept me going. Wow. That's interesting. Is this, is this someone you went to college with a, a, a high school friend? That That's interesting. I've never heard someone mention that. No, you know, it was someone I met online in the comment section of um, an agent, a literary agent's blog. Oh, wow. And I, we just emailed each other and you know, for a long time, we only know they knew each other online and neither of us had books published or anything at that point. Now we both do. Uh, and now, you know, we've become friends life <laughs> and she's come to Austin and I've gone to LA. She came to Vegas with her husband, with my husband, uh, for my birthday a couple of years ago. So now we're bona fide friends, but, uh, yeah, it was really just an online friendship. Wow. That's, that's great. So, so what was your writing process when you were working on the husbands and is it similar from novel to novel? Are you someone who does an extensive outline? Do you just dive into the narrative? How does that work for you? I would love to be an outliner. (laughs) 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 My brain doesn't seem to want to let me, especially with the husbands. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I usually write myself sort of a pitch. I pitch the book to myself. Um, and I kind of write what I think would be on the back cover of the novel and what would sound enticing to me as a reader. Um, and I just kind of reference back to that as I'm writing, like, am I sort of fulfilling the promise of the premise to myself? Um, and usually I know, you know, a few plot points along the way and hopefully how it ends, not always. And you know, I just write it and write through it. The, the husbands, I knew that that premise. I knew what I wanted to say with the novel. But after I finished the first draft, um, I ended up scrapping it and starting from a blank page again and just rewriting the whole novel because I kind of knew where I was going. So um, I'm working on making, I, I say I'm working on making the process more <laughs> efficient, but at the same time, I'm not totally convinced that writing is meant to be efficient. Sure. Uh, and I think there's so much discovery there and you can learn a lot if you're willing to throw away a lot of like, no writing is ever wasted in my mind. Um, so, you know, once I do have a draft, then I usually outline the book I have and start kind of going over where I think changes happen. And, and then I come back at it a little bit more systematically. So are you working on a new novel now? Yes, I, well, I just turned in the second draft of what will be my next book, which will hopefully come out maybe May next year. Um, and I, I'm feeling good about it. After that experience of throwing <laughs> away the novel when my agent and editor said I wasn't the one, I always have this kind of thing in my heart, like, 
oh, will this will this be the book? <laughs> um, but now that we're a couple of drafts in, and my agent editor him both assured me that this is the next book, uh, I'm trying to feel safe in it, but I just never quite feel safe until it's on the shelves. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, I, a couple things. One is I do think it's so important to find writing friends. Writing is such a solitary endeavor and it's uncomfortable to sit with it and you don't know what comes next and everyone gets to that point. Uh, and I feel like having writing friends that understand and that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of and just be there for you. I think that will keep you in the game longer than anything else. Um, and then, you know, the other is just really write to what feels interesting to you. I feel like my writing process has changed so much over the years because I've just been much more willing to to my specific point of view, like what would be the most Chandler Baker way of saying something, you know, what are the thoughts currently in my head and how do I distill those on the page? Uh, and just trying to be the most me version of it that I can. And I think that is what has ended up connecting with readers more than anything else. Gotcha. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, great question. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I talk about this book all the time, but I loved the plot by Jean Hamp's Coralitz uh, this summer. I thought it was so good. Um, I loved Bathhouse by P.J. Vernon. Uh, it was just such a tense thriller. Um, I loved The Push by Ashley Audrain, which just had such interesting commentary about motherhood. Uh, so dark and frightening. I loved it. Um, happier i love the gunkle by stephen rowley really loved cloud cuckoo land i've been reading a lot this year so i'm I'm on a good i'm on a good push right now that's great well where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels well the best place the place where i'm most active is definitely on instagram where i'm at chandler baker books and I, I update there a lot. And I'm at Chandler Baker Books pretty much everywhere else as well. Twitter, TikTok, um, on uh, website, all of those places. So great. That's well, again, we've been speaking with Chandler Baker, author of the novel, The Husbands, now out in paperback. So go buy a copy. And Chandler, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from The Husbands by Chandler Baker, narrated by Allison Ryan, available wherever audiobooks are sold. Nora is not in a fight with her husband. She thinks about the phrasing conjured here, in a fight, an idiosyncratic idiom dredged from her middle school years, and with it a vision of long-sleeved Hollister t-shirts chopsticks through buns, and I'm not speaking to you this week. She's 35 now, long past the stage of brushing her tricky curls into a cloud of frizz, but not so far that if she were in a fight, this wouldn't be an appropriately moody, anxious, and adolescent way to describe it, especially given the number of times Hayden has asked, what's wrong? And she has responded with, nothing. Nothing is what you say when to say everything would be ridiculous. 
She's being a drama queen. That's the term for it. But only in her head, where it doesn't really count. At a stoplight, they sit in their different silences. Hers brooding, his oblivious. She's a passenger in her own SUV, Hayden the driver, as she prefers, even though, with a seat pushed way back to accommodate a thick-set former rugby player, it jacks with her settings. Hayden has a bullish neck and a smattering of bald scars cut into his hairline from where he's had stitches. She finds them sexy, even when she's pissed, which, as a reminder, she's not. Also, he's got a fading blue tattoo peeking out from the hair on his right forearm. And more often than she cares to admit, she finds herself feeling proud. Because she never would have guessed she'd have grown into the type of woman to marry a man with an arm tattoo. It's kind of far, he says, not meaning anything by it. It's not that far, by which she means, don't start with me yet. Look, it's on the left, here, see? She points out the windshield to the neighborhood's grand entrance, walls decked in hill country stone with the name Dynasty Ranch spelled out in slanting cursive across its side. A fountain sprays a plume of water. It's, yes, a bit ostentatious, but there are worse things, aren't there? Dynasty Ranch is an enclave community ten minutes outside of Austin's city limits, nestled into a land of self-serve frozen yogurt shops, movie theaters with enormous reclining seats, and chain Mexican food restaurants that all boast kids' playscapes. It's quite exclusive. Or at least that's what the tasteful home brochure had claimed when her secretary had dropped it into the mesh mail bin on her office desk. Really, they must have spent a fortune on advertising. Hayden grunts and steers into the left lane without using his blinker, a mistake which he, hand to heart, doesn't mention. We're only here to look, he says. We have plenty of time. Plenty of time, like the growing bulge of her stomach is a ticking time bomb. But Hayden apparently is happy to procrastinate for a little while before getting around to the tedious task of dismantling it. She thinks... Who in their right mind wouldn't want to neutralize the threat straight away? Have time to spare on the back end, a margin of error, a cushion. While Hayden believes, it will get done. Often, it doesn't. He will take out the trash later, do the dishes later, clear the table later. She waits, she bides time, she goes with the flow and her world goes kablooey. It's happened before, and before, and before, and before. It will get done. But the part that he leaves out is that he'll have nothing to do with the doing. It's like he thinks their house, their toddler, their lives are kept on track by magic, as though she is the family Rumpelstiltskin. He goes to bed and voila, See, Nora? All taken care of. And my God, woman, why are you so sweaty? She stews. They follow the notice for the open house, signs staked into the ground on flimsy tongs. 
But the first actual home doesn't appear in Dynasty Ranch for nearly a half mile, which does seem like an awfully long way. Vegetation is sparse. Where present, though, it's meticulously manicured, making things feel organized and stress-free, and 